The Lord is in your midst. Do not fear. The Lord will rejoice over you and he will renew you in his love. He will exult over you. He will bring you home. Amen. Beautiful words of hope from the prophet Zephaniah. For those of you who grew up learning Bible verses before lunch on a Sunday morning, Zephaniah is a familiar friend, a veritable household name. For the rest of us, you may have missed this little book, The Minor Prophet, along the way. I want to offer some background because these bright and radiant words of hope that we hear declared to God's people this morning from that book are not exactly what Zephaniah's audience might have been expecting. Yet isn't it the truth that the God who does not meet our expectations is usually the one who is worth hearing about? Zephaniah is tucked right at the back end of the Hebrew Bible among what are known as the 12 minor prophets. The text is believed to have been written in the 7th century BCE, which is a detail that matters because its vantage point in history most likely looks back at the years that followed the conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel by the Assyrian Empire around 722 BCE. As we catch up with events in Zephaniah, the conquerors themselves are becoming the conquered, as the Assyrian stronghold of Nineveh is prophesied or has already been seen to fall to the Babylonians. This replacement of one conquering power with another is more than other people's news, however. For with that fall is the promise to the people of Israel that the way of life that God's people had known in Jerusalem was also up for renewal. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, the prophet declares. The Lord is in your midst. In other words, Reality, as you know it, is taking a radical turn. Flash forward, if you will, to the New Testament, to another prophetic voice, this time of John the baptizer in the dry places of Judea, proclaiming that the axe is lying at the root of the tree, ready to shake up the world and the human spirit. Repent, John cries out. Repent like you mean it. Share your coat and your food and your money. Get ready for a whole new way of life, not born of the muddy waters of the Jordan, but of fire and of the Spirit. The challenge, however, for Zephaniah and for John is that they both share the burden of being voices whose proclamations predate good evidence. Where exactly is God to be found in our midst? Who precisely is this one who is yet to come, whom we are yet to see? For the ancient people of Zephaniah's life and times, wherever God is to be found in this city, in this case the city of Jerusalem, that God would have to compete with other seemingly more attractive contenders. 
It is believed that at the time of Zephaniah that an astral cult of the Assyrian people was being practiced on the roof of the Jerusalem temple. And set alongside the god Milcom, Yahweh might have been seen as a lesser choice among other perhaps more compelling options. Paul also faced the challenge of prevailing cultural values, encouraging the nascent community of Jesus in Philippi to keep the faith entrusted to them. Do not worry about anything. The apostle urges his readers, the Lord is near. Philippi, as Paul knew it, was a mix of Macedonians, Greeks, and Romans, each civilizations with little care for the claims of these Christians whom Paul was anxious to keep moving on the right track. Three prophetic voices in three places in time, each drawing us to a common destination. Zephaniah's new day among the conquered people of Jerusalem in the Assyrian Empire. John's promise of a coming reality in the desert places of Judea. Paul's encouragement to keep the faith in the Hellenistic mix of cosmopolitan Philippi. What are these ancient texts trying to say to us in our own here and now? Perhaps simply this. Open your hearts and your minds to see the God who is in your midst. The challenge, however, with such prophetic hope, which is in so many ways the kind of hope that Advent invites us into, is that by its nature it requires us to stretch and to grow. It teaches that to see the world with prophetic eyes is to adopt a wider theological lens, a more expansive view of God that enlarges the ways by which we might imagine and talk about God. Take, for example, how we use language to speak of God here in the context of our worshiping life. Now, I know that some of you are a little perplexed that there has been a period of time of late when our God talk has not been what you have been used to. I know how it can feel. Father, Lord, or Jesus the Son are words that have been uttered so frequently along the way of our walk of faith that they practically have residence on our tongues and among our vocal cords. Words matter, don't they? They help us to think. Yet in the case of the divine, words only seek to paint a picture that in truth cannot be painted in full because the reality we call God is a mystery beyond the power of human telling. These past few months, in response to our national church's encouragement to try out some new language for God, we have adopted phrases that avoid gender-specific vocabulary in places like the Eucharistic prayer while retaining traditional language in others, as with the Lord's Prayer and the Nicene Creed. It is intended as a way for us to see what it does for our theological imaginations when we move out of the familiar. In the new year, we will return 
to the more traditional prayer book language. And you'll have a chance to attend some adult formation classes if you would like and have further discussion that will help you let us know what is most important to you in our shared language of worship. Whether we decide as a parish to adopt some expansive language in our liturgies going forward or whether we decide to stick to what we have been doing, I believe that this period of time of trying out new forms of expression for our talk about God is instructive in and of itself. For instance, I wonder how talk about God that is definitively gendered or intentionally not so has made you ponder how God is in your midst and in your life in this place. Is God more a father to you or a mother or a shepherd or a spirit or a friend or a savior? Are you with those Assyrian astral cult devotees worshiping a theological hybrid on the proverbial roof of the temple, mixing your religious metaphors, attending church on Sundays and Buddhist meditation on Mondays? The parts of the Bible make your heart sing, while others make your skin crawl. How do you reconcile the God who on one hand liberates the slaves from Egypt, yet on the other commands the annihilation of the people already in the land of Canaan at the other end of that journey? If God is anything, God clearly is inconvenient. Meeting our expectations is not high on the agenda. Surpassing them, however, is what it is all about. I listened to a TED talk this week by Amy Herman called A Lesson on Looking. Herman runs an organization called The Art of Perception based in New York City with a client list that includes the FBI, the CIA, Scotland Yard, and the Peace Corps, her work teaches people to look slowly and more carefully at what is before them. Her claim is that because we interact with scores of people multiple times each day, we need to get better at asking questions about what it is that we are looking at. She has radiologists telling her that Looking at the negative spaces in a painting has helped them discern more discrete abnormalities in an MRI. And police officers remarking that understanding the emotional dynamic between people in a painting helped them to read body language at a domestic violence scene and think twice before firing their weapon. And parents who look to see absences of color in paintings to understand that what their children say to them is as important as what they don't say. Amy Herman uses art to build up her clients' visual intelligence, teaching them not only to look for what is visible or discernible to them, but also for what isn't. So to the church, 
what really matters as you and I gather to worship here in this space week by week is not only what your senses can take in, but what those senses might at first miss. Along with the powerful vibrations of the organ, the slight scent of candle wax, the words of prayer and song and reflection, what else is present? What do you see by paying attention to the spaces between sight, by listening to the silences between sound? Finding God in our midst is not a pedestrian kind of pastime, but a lifelong vocation that demands more of us than meets the eye or fills the ear. It asks for us to attend to the holy, the luminous, the theophany of God, sprinkling light across the muddied waters of repentance and new life John so earnestly wants us to wade into. Fire and spirit, light in the darkness, death birthing life. None of it is self-evident. Yet all of it is a wondrous adventure of love made manifest for you. Might we hear in our lives the prophet's voice anew. The divine life is in your midst. Do not fear. The spirit's mighty wind will rejoice over you. And she will renew you in her love. Your God will exult over you. He will bring you home.